0: Hello and welcome. This is Smart Prosperity, the podcast. It's a show about the green economy in Canada, the politics, the business, the technology, and the ideas at the intersection of the environment and the economy. We keep it current with a new episode every two weeks, and we try to make it easy to fit into your day by making every episode 25 minutes or less. I'm your host, Eric Campbell. On today's show, what are the green technologies to look out for this decade? Leah Lawrence from Sustainable Development Technology Canada tells us about the next cohort of transformative, disruptive, and downright cool clean tech. Then we take a trip down Plastics Lane... After years of disposable commitments by the industries that contribute most to plastic pollution, we speak with food and beverage giant Nestle about the new Canada Plastics Pact and where plastics fit in a greener business and a greener economy. After that, we get the 60-second rundown of a new report in the green economy space, and we wrap it all up with a quick look at five other things happening in the green economy this week. Twenty years ago, it was solar panels, wind turbines, and the electric car. The decade after that, battery storage, LED light bulbs, and non-animal sources of protein. So now that we've officially entered a new decade, the 2020s, what are the emerging green technologies that are going to define it? The things that 5, 10, 20 years from now will be providing much needed climate and environmental solutions while creating big job, business, and economic opportunities. To answer that tantalizing question, I've invited Leah Lawrence. Leah is President and CEO of Sustainable Development Technology Canada, or SDTC. It's the biggest single investor in Canadian green technologies, investing about $150 million every year in early and mid-stage innovations. Leah is joining us from her home office in Ottawa. Hi, Leah. Thanks for joining.
1: Wonderful to be here, Eric.
0: Thank you for having me. Leah, what does this next decade hold for green technologies? I've never been more
1: positive than I am today about what's happening on climate change and that we're going to beat it, that we're going to meet those targets that are out there, the 2030, the net zero by 2050, and that entrepreneurs in Canada can lead the way. And let me just tell you why I'm positive. Okay. Because first it's that we're seeing this massive game changing movement of financing into climate tech or clean tech and Let me just give you some perspective on this. You know, I was reading some stuff before Christmas that uh, talked about from 2013 to 2019, there was this 3,750% or something like that increase um, to like $16 billion globally in venture capital alone for climate tech.
0: So in other words, the entrepreneurs that we're counting on to develop these green technologies are accessing more funding than ever before to get their ideas off the ground.
1: Exactly. And so let me just build on that a little bit, because venture capitalists fund the early stage stuff, a lot of the stuff that we're funding. And so if you've already seen 16 billion globally going into venture capital-backed companies in climate tech, that means they're on the verge of rapid commercialization and adoption. And that really matters because if we're talking about 2030, which was the most recent announcements by the federal government before Christmas with their climate strategy, mm-hmm. that means we really only have a business investment cycles about five years long. So if we're, we're targeting 2030, that means we really only have about two investment cycles to have Canadian greenhouse gas emissions. So, so, you know, on the one hand, that's a really challenging time period and a challenging, daunting kind of timeline. But on the other, when you have all of these technologies that are ready to break out, so to speak, um, that really gives a lot of positive energy and hope.
0: So an important decade and an important couple business cycles, as you say, for implementing green technologies to meet our climate goals. Tell us about some of the green technologies that we might see breakthrough in this decade.
1: This is what's really fun about our seed program is because we fund about 100 companies that are nominated by accelerators across the country every year, you can really get an insight into what might be coming down the line two, three, you know, next year, two years, three years from now. And I'm really excited about the fact that about 40% of our portfolio is data enabled. And what that could mean is um, a company like uh, there's a company in Vancouver run by some really amazing folks called Semios Bio, and if you don't know them, you should know them. They're one of our leading clean tech companies, and they're in the agriculture sector. What they do is they okay. uh, they have figured out how you can use pheromones to stop. Um, insects from having sex, as the uh, the CEO would say. Uh,
0: Careful now. This is a family-friendly show, Leah. (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. There you go. Sorry, I I won't get any more uh, into it than that. So what happens is that they deploy these little sensors into fields. And initially, when we first met them about five or six years ago, I think, they thought that that was what they would do. They sell these little boxes that have pheromone-release mechanisms in them into um, trees that had almonds or lemons or what have you. Um, but what they realized is those farmers that run those orchards don't want the little boxes because they can become obsolete. What they want is the service associated with knowing they have the best or organic uh, insecticide mm-hmm. available. And so what they sell today is a packaged approach to to insect control, basically, right? And using software and their pheromone hardware. And this company, um, Spio, last year. Um, raised a hundred million dollars and I think is profitable and is on track to uh, you know raise a significant amount of money and get more com- com- customers in, in, on, and on more farms in the upcoming months and years So data enabled in agriculture but in agriculture writ large is really an interesting area.
0: So green technology in the agricultural sector, which of course is valuable for water, soil and ecosystem health to reduce chemical inputs, but also for climate change, given that agriculture accounts for about 8% of Canada's emissions. What other technologies are exciting you for the next decade?
1: Um, Buildings. Now, you know, Canada, you know, you would have seen in a lot of the programming and policy that's come out that people are going to focus on... um, reducing um, energy consumption of buildings, but also transforming to net zero buildings which and communities, which is going to mean really rethinking, I think, communities writ large. And you're starting to see this in, in some other jurisdictions, but also in Canada. You've had some net zero communities now being built, and and you're rethinking building materials. You're rethinking energy distribution systems. And, and that's going to be really interesting. So let's give an example as concrete. And at UBC and, and some other places in Canada, um, they're looking at wood frame buildings. I'm sure you've heard about that, Eric. And this is an area where, of course, Canada has um, an amazing um, forestry sector that has thought a lot about how to, to grow um, for us sustainably. And then, you know, the folks in in BC and UBC in particular are thinking about how do we marry that with thoughtful approaches to building buildings. So you see this whole cluster of wood frame buildings emerging in Western Canada. Um, so those are just some examples. You know obviously there's the ones you mentioned. Yeah. Electric, electric vehicles actually in, in Quebec. really interesting. you know you go from Lion Electric, which has been in the news quite a lot on buses and garbage trucks electrification. Um, yeah. You also have full value chain of electric vehicles. We just saw um, Lycycle, who's an interesting lithium-ion battery recycling company in Kingston. Partnering with New Flyer, who's one of the biggest bus manufacturers in North America, but based in Winnipeg, and thinking about mm-hmm. how they can marry electric vehicle supply chain production out of um, out of their out of New Flyer with recycling of the batteries with uh, with lifecycle. So these are the kinds of things that are getting excited. Yeah.
0: Those do sound exciting. So some agricultural clean tech, some buildings and community energy tech, and some electric vehicle tech and supply chain integration. Leah, the government just announced in December an additional $750 million for SDTC to help support Canadian-made green technologies. What kind of a difference is that going to make? Since 17
1: uh, we've had about a 175% increase in the dollars dispersed because we just have a great group of companies and a funnel that we're trying to pull through to commercialization um, so that, that the market can take over and, and have deployment of their technologies. And so what the government has done is, is recapitalized us at the at the place that we're at now today, having grown um, that 175% over the last few, few years. So yeah, we're looking forward to continuing to, to back uh, companies and seed startup and scale up in the next five years, working with our partners to think about some of the stuff that has arisen as a result of COVID, you know, supply chain challenges, intellectual property thoughts, these are things we could talk about another day, maybe. But, but most importantly, mm-hmm. how do we really grow a domestic market? That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's the thing that's keeping me up at night. A lot, a lot of our companies, of course, historically, um, small and medium sized, often go to the U.S. right away because that's the way um, that they can get to a bigger market more quickly. And so some right. of the things that our team is, is thinking about is, okay, well, that's challenging when a border is, is closed because of, uh, for trade and, and pandemic reasons, or to trade for pandemic reasons. And so what uh-huh. can we do to help companies um, find more domestic customers in the interim and be ready when the borders open up to really, to really take off and scale?
0: Leah, it's great to hear from you at this exciting time for SDTC and for Canadian Cleantech. Thanks for being on the show today.
1: Oh, it was my pleasure. I think uh, the next three to five years are going to be so interesting, and I look forward to just uh, seeing where it goes.
0: That was Leah Lawrence, President and CEO of Sustainable Development Technology Canada. Now, to learn more about some of those exciting green technologies you just heard Leah mention, visit this episode's homepage at podcast.smartprosperity.ca.
2: I
3: just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I you. Plastics.
0: Yes, every segment on plastics needs to begin with that clip from the movie The Graduate. Because back in the 1970s, plastics was all the rage. And it still is. The plastics industry will tell you about all the good ways in which plastics have transformed our economy, from medical equipment, to the phones and computers we love, to our disposable COVID-19 face masks, to our coffee cups and the paint on our walls. The list of plastics virtues is virtually endless. But the waste that comes out the other end is one of the most visible and destructive forms of pollution. So, if you're the world's biggest food and beverage company, what do you do? You're the company behind Kit Kat and Arrow, behind Häagen-Dazs and Del Monte, behind Purina pet food, Perrier, Nescafé, and Pure Life bottled water. Plastic packaging is how you've gotten your product to your customers for decades. What do you do? Well, that's the question for my next guest. Her name is Catherine O'Brien. She's the Senior Vice President of Corporate Affairs for Nestle Canada. And just recently, she and Nestle joined 40 other partners, including Coca Cola, Unilever, and Loblaw, as founding signatories of the New Canada Plastics Pact, which pledges companies to tackle the plastic pollution problem in measurable ways. She joins us by phone. Catherine, thanks for being on Smart Prosperity, the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. It's my pleasure.
0: Catherine, why was signing on to the Canada Plastics Pact important for Nestle Canada?
2: Well, we're really excited, uh, first of all, to be joining together with, you know, as you mentioned, 40 other companies um, to look at uh, solving some of the issues that we have around plastic and plastic waste specifically. So for us at Nestle Canada, we and Nestle globally, in fact, we've made some very, you know, big and bold commitments around our packaging Um, We're obviously a very big food and beverage company, so we know that we have an important role to play in tackling some of the challenges in front of us. So for Nestle specifically, we've made the commitment to have 100% of our packaging be recyclable or reusable by 2025. So that's a big goal, and uh, we certainly have lots of plans, but we know that we're going to be much better off if we work with our partners uh, across the value chain and with our competitors, with our retailers, um, to really see where the opportunities may be to, uh, to collectively bring our brain power together to solve uh, some of these issues and encourage a circular economy.
0: So Catherine, in my intro, I rattled off a number of Nestle's brands. They all come in plastic packaging. They all result in some kind of plastic waste. How does Nestle tackle plastic waste when it's so core to the delivery of your product?
2: You're right. I mean, plastic is very, very important in the delivery of food, you know, to Canadians and it serves a very important purpose. So certainly plastic keeps our product uh, safe and hygienic and fresh and all those kinds of things. So what uh, the issue really isn't about so much the plastic packaging, perhaps it's about sometimes the type of plastic packaging, but also ensuring that that plastic gets recycled So um, certainly from our perspective, we have a very rigorous approach actually to looking at our packages. So we have a plan or at least a a plan for a plan for every single package that we make and a roadmap of how we're going to get to, uh, you know, 100% recyclable, reusable. Um, Where we are now is that uh, as we assess our products, about 87% of our packages are currently recyclable so that's the good news (laughs) that's great news Um, but the challenge that we have is around the 13 percent that currently are not recyclable and they're not recyclable because there's not the infrastructure to recycle it perhaps it's too complex of a package um, or you know, in other cases, it's there's just not not really an option, you know, at this point in time. So that's one of the reasons that we're interested in coming together with others uh, across the industry because we all share very common, you know common challenges. Uh, so coming together to say, you know, what research do we need, what op- options are out there? How could we improve the recyclability, how can we improve the infrastructure and so forth? So, So for us, definitely plastic is important and we will continue to use it, but we only want to use it if it's going to be recycled.
0: So part of the challenge sounds like a technological one or an innovation one, as in designing and developing packaging that meets this criteria for recyclability, reusability or compostability. Catherine, what are some of the innovations that you're looking at and and excited about potentially using?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we're looking, I would say, we're, we're casting a fairly wide net in terms of looking at different options. So I, I can maybe give you a couple of examples. One, um, one is actually around reusable packaging. Um, so uh, I can tell you that actually, ironically today, <laughs> we're, we're announcing that um, we will be the first uh, maker of ice cream, Hagen Dazs specifically, a very beloved brand in Canada. Uh, the first to use uh, recycled packaging in partnership with Loop, a sustainable home delivery service. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Loop, uh, but they're yeah. an organization that creates these rather lovely uh, recycle uh, reusable, I should say, uh, packaging. So for example, in the case of hagen it's coming in a, in a beautiful kind of aluminum uh, container that is, um, you know, consumers will go online. We have about a, a 5,000 person pilot project right now in Ontario to see who is interested in using that. It's, it's being launched today with a bunch of other brands. So ultimately people could choose to, you know, pay uh, a bit of a premium for that package. They would get that money back if they didn't continue, but then that um, product gets delivered to their home. They enjoy it. The empty containers picked up, uh, cleaned and refilled and brought back again. So anyhow, that's just an example of something that we're certainly piloting in terms of um, where where is the role for reusable packaging is one example. Um, other things, I, I mean, a big challenge for us as a, as a producer of beverages and confectionery products is what we call a cello bag, a stand-up cello bag or a pouch, you would call it, you know, that has like a resealable top. Those packages fall <laughs> in that 13% of the, of the the uh, of the products that aren't currently recyclable that we have or the packaging, I should say, so we need to find a solution to those. And the reason they're not recyclable is because there's multiple layers in the package and it does not get recycled. So we need to look at options. We have moved towards now a paper, uh, the option of a paper package for that, that has a very, a very kind of um, small um, lining, but it can still be recycled and repulped. But right now, that is not actually accepted in most of the recycling programs in Ontario as well. So we're, you know, working with government and so forth to solve solve that problem. But so reusables and options, um, different forms of packaging like paper. Um, the big challenge is around food grade recycled content. So. You know, food has very high standards in terms of the quality of packaging. And right now there's not a lot of available food grade recycled content. So that's something we're looking at. Um, You know, even things like alternate forms of recycling, like chemical recycling and those kind of things. So those are are a few of the things that we have our eye on, but we're certainly, you know, trying to to keep up with everything that's going on. And that's really one of the benefits of the CPP is that we can um, have all of that information kind of consolidated to one group.
0: Catherine, congratulations on joining the Canada Plastics Pact. We look forward to seeing the results by 2025. Uh, and thanks for being on today's program.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. It was really my pleasure. Thanks so much.
0: That was Catherine O'Brien, Senior Vice President at Nestle Canada want to learn more about the new Canada Plastics Pact and its founding signatories and what they're committing to? We've got links for you on this episode's homepage at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. Now it's time for something we do every show. It's called the 60 Second Report. It's where we invite the author of a new and important report to sum it all up in 60 seconds or less. This week, we're welcoming Christina Hoika. She's Associate Professor in the Faculty of Environmental Studies at York University. Christina is breaking down her new report, Reconciliation and Self-Determination Through Renewable Energy. Christina, your minute starts now. The
4: study asks how renewable energy projects of grid-connected First Nation communities can address reconciliation and self-determination in a post-COVID economic recovery. We partnered with the Canadian Council for Aboriginal Business to survey and interview eight First Nations economic development corporations across Canada to learn about how they are involved in renewable energy projects. We found that First Nation equity ownership of renewable energy projects asserts their rights and title to their land and builds partnerships with industry and government while generating own source revenue. Equity ownership is more lucrative and sustainable than an impact and benefit agreement. And 50-50 partnerships honor the spirit of reconciliation. First Nation Economic Development Corporations can build capacity by providing jobs, skill development, partnerships, and business development. Our findings indicate that provincial, territorial, and federal governments should enhance the policies and programs that have encouraged indigenous equity ownership and control of renewable energy projects on their traditional territories.
0: Thanks, Christina, and congratulations on your new report. For a link to that new report, you can visit this episode's webpage at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. Now, there's only so much we can cover in depth on this show. For all the rest, we usually count on my colleague, Mike Moffitt, but Mike is at home recovering from COVID. So this week, Alice Irene Whitaker steps in. She's the Communications Director here at Smart Prosperity Institute, and she's going to share some of the other things happening in the green economy this week. Alice Irene, over to you.
3: I'm Alice Irene Whitaker, and here are the five other things I'm watching in the green economy this week. One, General Motors rocked the automotive world by announcing that it plans to stop making gas-fueled vehicles and to manufacture exclusively zero-emission cars and trucks by the year 2035. The announcement comes one week after GM made a tentative deal to invest a billion dollars to start manufacturing electric vehicles at its plant in Ingersoll, Ontario. Two, BlackRock, the investment giant which manages almost $9 trillion in assets, is calling for companies in its portfolio to disclose how their businesses will fare in a net-zero carbon economy. The world's largest fund manager is accelerating its push to align investments with the fight against climate change in the face of public demand. Three. The European Union approved a plan that includes giving state aid to Tesla, BMW, and others to support the production of electric vehicle batteries. Following the other broad EU initiatives that support the shift away from fossil fuels, the project is expected to cost $3.5 billion. Four, over 40 leading companies, government bodies, and NGOs have launched the Canada Plastics Pact, pledging to fundamentally change Canadians' relationship to plastic. And lastly, number five, in the U.S., the Biden administration has hit the ground running, announcing a slew of environmental measures in its first days. In addition to recommitting to the Paris Climate Agreement, Biden rescinded the construction permit for the Keystone XL oil pipeline, ordered federal agencies to review and reinstate more than 100 environmental regulations, and moved to position climate change as a national security priority, among other actions. I'm Alice Irene Whitaker, and those are the five other things I'm watching in the green economy this week.
0: Thanks, Alice Irene. If you'd like to have a second glance at those stories and be able to click through on some links, we've got them written out for you at podcast.smartprosperity.ca. Well, that's it for today's show. Thanks for coming along for the ride. If you just can't wait until the next episode comes out, listen to some of our previous episodes, all on our website at podcast.smartprosperity.ca, also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you stream your podcasts. Thanks again for listening. My name is Eric Campbell. The next episode is out February 17th. Hope you'll tune in then.